Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We're glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into this week's message. But before we do, I want to encourage you to connect with us online. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook, and you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and this very podcast. We want to stay connected. So another great way to do that is be our guest on a Sunday. I'd love to invite you to be here. If you're local, come out. We want to meet you, get to know you, worship with you. We'd really, really enjoy your company. And without further ado, let's jump into this week's message. Hey, that uh, didn't Kirsten and Jordan do so good? Thank you. I got to marry them twice. They can explain it later, but I, I married them twice because once wasn't good enough. They said, run it again, run it again. <laughs> hey, it's good to see you. This is going to be the first day that's triple digits. Just throwing that out there. It's going to be over 100 degrees today. So put your short pants on. You guys didn't seem excited. You seemed about as excited as I am about that. (laughs) This Alaska boy is like, no, that's too hot. That's too hot. Hey, um, this is a a pretty exciting Sunday for me because if everything goes as planned, which it should be, our first service next door will be this coming Sunday. (laughs) Pretty cool pretty cool. They, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, it's really fun. It's, it's really neat to see what's going on. And here's the deal. We, we built a bigger auditorium, and it's not, uh, it's really not because we want to be a big church. Uh, if you know me, you'll know I grew up in a very small church, and I'm, I'm most comfortable around small groups of people. But um, I just really feel that our, our calling as believers is not to have great, big, grand visions for what we can accomplish, but our calling is to be faithful with whatever God's put in front of us. Yeah. And if, if, if he put this in front of us, we, we need to be faithful with it because I believe God is doing something unique and special in the Treasure Valley, and we get to be a small piece of that. And so uh, it's going to be really incredible. We're creating more space for your family and your friends and uh, those that are far from Jesus to come to know him. It's going to be great. Um, we've been in a collection of messages. Uh, this is the third week in a collection of messages uh, that are from what we call Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' vision for what a, a, a believer's life looks like. It's his vision for what a new creation is. So as believers, we're, we're called to become somebody new. We're not ca- called to become somebody better. We're called to become somebody new. And and. and through the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows us what, what that vision looks like because it's very different than what culture would say. It's very different than what the world around us would say. And um, the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So Matthew was one of Jesus' followers. 
And after Jesus passed away, he, he wrote down, he probably was doing it while Jesus was alive, but he, he, he collected and wrote down, uh, I, I feel like I'm in a tunnel or something. Um, he, he, he wrote down uh, teachings of Jesus and the stories of Jesus. And in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he, uh, he lists this vision. It's the vision for what life would look like. It's three chapters long. It's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And I want to encourage you this summer, if you don't already have a Bible reading plan, if you're not reading through the Bible in a year or something like that, just pick Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 and read it over and over and over again. Uh, I just think it's a really healthy practice to read the same passage of Scripture several times in a row. Um, I've, I've done the through Bible through a year thing, and I love that. That's good to have the discipline. But there's just something that happens when you marinate in a passage of Scripture and you just, just let it just soak into you. And so when we're looking at this um, Sermon on the Mount, we're looking at Jesus' vision for what believers look like. This is not a sermon to unbelievers. So in a room this big, I know that there's people here today that for you, you, you would say, like, I've been living for God for you. I'm a seasoned Christian. What that means is I'm an old Christian. You've been living for God for a long time. <laughs> You've been living for God for a long time. And there's other people in the room that you would say, I'm actually not sure that I am a Christian. I don't think I am a Christian. Uh, if you're not a Christian, understand that today is not to you. Today, you get to peer in on what believers should live like. Which is great because that gives you so much leverage over your Christian friends. You'd be like, Jesus said, right? <laughs> Jesus, uh, so you can Jesus juke the Jesus people, okay? So, <laughs> you're welcome. <clears throat> uh, the Sermon on the Mount's broken into three different parts. The, the first is the blessings that are spoken over a believer or a follower of Jesus. He, he speaks different blessings over their life. It's not so much that he's telling them how to behave. It's that he's blessing them because that's who you have become. You have become a peacemaker, and so he's speaking blessings over your life. And then in the middle part, there's this, this um, scolding towards uh, hypocrisy. Jesus has a big issue with hypocrisy. Anybody know that? Yes. How many know in church, we got big issues with hypocrisy? And Jesus does not like hypocrisy inside the church. It's what he speaks to. When he's talking to religious people, he's very much saying, be careful that you are not hypocritical in the way you interact with others. And then he gives us an example of how to pray. This is the, this, the, the Lord's, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's really an outline or, or a pattern for how to pray. And then in the, the third chapter, he is giving us uh, a new vision of what, culture in the kingdom of God looks like. So it's very different than, than the culture around us. And what's interesting is when we read the Sermon on the Mount, it will feel like we're reading Jesus's words to 2023. It feels like he's talking straight to us. And the reason is this, people have not changed. The world is no crazier now, other than technology, than it was in the days of Jesus. People had the same issues, the same struggles, and the same culture wars in the first century as they do today. And Jesus is calling the, the, the believers to live a different way than the world around them. Um, has anybody ever been selected for jury duty? 
I, I got selected for jury, jury duty, and I thought it was going to be so amazing. Like, they're going to pull up, like, all this cool investigative stuff, and I was going to learn all. People are going to ask me about the case later. I'd do book deals. Like, it was going to be amazing. <laughs> I get there, and it's like five minutes into jury selection, they're like, oh, you're a preacher. You're out. <laughs> You have opinions on things. Get out of here. <laughs> it's, it's, come on. I just, I just want to. I think when, when it comes to jury duty, like a, a half the people think like, like, I just don't want anything to do with that. Like you walk in there and you're like, he looks guilty. You know, they're like, get, get, get out of here. Or for some people, they just really, really want to do it. And then they show up and then it's super boring. It's just not what you're hoping for. I know one person that uh, went through several weeks of, of jury duty, like just several weeks of getting paid lousy pay and like just horrible, like, uh, you know, vending machine food. And then, uh, and then ended up the, the prosecution and the defense uh, came together and they came up with a plea deal. And it was like, yeah, you wasted your time, yeah. right? Yeah. Has anybody seen that show, Jury Duty? Yes. Oh, my goodness. That, that's, I haven't pastored you well. Okay. It's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. <laughs> okay. Here's the deal. I think a lot of Christians think they are on jury duty. A lifetime appointment to jury duty. And can I tell you that is not what our calling is. We're not called to be the world's jury. Jesus says this at the beginning of the third portion or the third chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. He says these words, do not judge others. Everybody say it. Don't judge me. Look at your neighbor and say, don't judge me. <clears throat> this is the most quoted passage of scripture in the entire world. Jesus says, do not judge uh, this, is the, this is the one where, where, where people often, they, they, they're, they're, unbelievers quote this passage to, to, to Christians. The moment a Christian has an opinion, it's like, <laughs> Jesus, you do not judge others. Uh, this is the one that you say with an attitude, right? right? It's, like, it's like, judge not, in the King James, judge not, lest ye be judged. Right? This is, this is, this is the most quoted passage in all of Scripture. People say, hey, <laughs> I love it. That was, a little, that was a little emphatic amen there. But it's true because, because what we're doing is we use this for, we say, ah, Jesus says, do not judge. And so I'm going to, I, I'm going to go with that. You, you have no right to tell me how to live my life. If it's not hurting anybody, how dare you tell me how to live my life? In fact, this value of Thou shalt not judge. Do not judge lest ye be judged has become our highest value in our culture. It trumps every other value, the value of do not judge others unless they have a different opinion than you. And then so long as you blast them on social media, it doesn't count apparently. But our highest cultural value is toleration, do not judge, keep your opinions to yourself. Because Jesus says these words. I remember a couple of years ago, we, we had a family reunion, and um, 
my, my, I moved here from the north, and so I didn't really know all my family, and I was excited to meet all my cousins and get to know everybody, and we had a family reunion in Twin Falls. But before we went to the family reunion in Twin Falls, we all met up on the Payette River up near Banks, and we rafted the river, which is super fun. Have you guys done that? Yeah, some of you have. It's super fun. I was excited because I grew up in Alaska and the Yukon in northern Canada, and up there we have whitewater rafting. Like, it's a thing. Super excited because I've done the whitewater rafting. And back home, when we go whitewater rafting, uh, when, the, when the river isn't white, turbulent water and it's just calm, we have a technical term we use for that. We call that boring. <laughs> and so what we do when it gets boring is we start playing pirates. And that means you jump onto the other boats and you throw people in the water. And it's just like, all, like once it calms down, it's chaos, right? And then, and then you all climb back in the boat and do the... And so... I get in this boat with a bunch of cousins that I had just met on the way there, and uh, we, we, we start down, and I asked the guide, I said, well, is, how far until we get the white water? And he says, well, it's going to be a, um, a few miles. I said, okay. Can we play pirates? And the guide was like, absolutely, <laughs> because apparently it's not just an Alaska thing. It's an Idaho thing, too. When it's boring, you throw people off the boat. And so I go flying at this cousin and, and that I had just met, and I hug him and dive into the water with this guy. And this, this kid from Florida that I had just met <laughs> did not understand the concept of fun versus boring. He came up out of the water with this just icy glare. He's, mad. He's so mad at me. We climbed back in the boat, and he's just staring at me for the rest of the trip. I'm like, I just gave you fun. His fiance sat across from me on the boat, and I'm telling you, if looks could kill, that, that girl had it out for me. Like she was, she was just like, like I, I felt judged. I felt wrongly judged in that moment. I was trying to bless them with fun, and they were treating me like I was a terrorist. The truth is it feels horrible to be judged, doesn't it? Yeah. It feels horrible when you're, when you're judged, especially when you're wrongly judged. Can we be honest for a minute? In, in this room, I know there are believers that, you, like for you, you've been living for God for 20 years, and there's people in this room that you're maybe making your way back to Jesus, or maybe you've never been close to Jesus. And the truth is, is that the number one reason that non-believers run from church is because they will be judged. That somehow Christians have become the moral police of the world, injecting our opinions whenever and wherever we want. I think it matters that we get this right. Because Jesus says, do not judge. But even when he says that, we know that he must mean something slightly different because we, we understand that like, like a teacher should judge the people they're teaching. Like, like nobody wants to go to a doctor that has never been judged. 
We expect certain people in, in the world to make judgment calls. We, we expect the police officer not to render a guilty verdict, but to make a judgment call based on what's in front of them. And so we, we do expect people to have some sort, like, like, is it okay to judge somebody for a bad haircut? Guilty. Is it okay to judge your pastor when his hair does this? <laughs> Is it okay for your wife to send Jimmy Neutron pictures to people while you're preaching? Is it okay to judge the crazy haircut if it's your child? What if, what if they have a curse word carved into the back of their head? Is it okay to judge that? <laughs> I got some moms. Yep. <laughs> Is it okay to judge a random dude flirting with the coworker? Is it okay to judge a Christian that you know, that you are in a small group with, and he's flirting with a coworker, and he's married? Is it okay to judge? Because Jesus says, judge not. Okay, so <clears throat> our culture says, do, like our culture latches onto this statement from Jesus. And it says, do not judge me. Don't judge me in my sexuality, right? Like, like I can have sex with whoever I want to have sex with. And my question is, is that really what you believe? Like, is it okay to judge someone who's having sex with somebody 10 years younger than them? Okay, well, let's, let's, let's adjust it a little bit. 10 years younger than them and they're 12, and they're your child. You, you know, you know like, like, is that okay to judge them? Here's the deal. We have to get this right. Because when Jesus is talking about what the culture of the kingdom of God looks like, he addresses this issue of judgment. And he begins by saying, don't do it. And my question to you is this. Do you and I have the right to call, people, to call people to better behavior, or do we not have that right? I, I mean, do you have the right, if your husband is spending all of the money that you don't have on Minecraft, do you have a, a right to judge him? If, if she refuses to offer forgiveness to another person, that is asking for forgiveness. Like, does she have a right to do that? Or as a Christian, sh should you just ignore it or should you say something like encouraging them to? When you hear gossip, do you have a right to shut gossip down? Here's the thing about gossip that's so interesting. As long as it's kept a secret, everybody is considered trustworthy. And the moment somebody brings it to light, they're considered the one with loose lips. That's not trustworthy. Like, like, this really matters. Maybe today you're, you're, you're just investigating Jesus, and, and, and part of your big question about whether or not you want to become a Christian is, you're not sure if you want to be part of the world's moral police. Understand that Jesus, he addresses this issue, and while it does have nuance in it, he is very clear on his perspective. Here's what it says, 
Let's read that again. It says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Jesus is saying that when, when, when you choose not to judge other people, you're creating an opportunity for you to avoid some judgment in the future. The inverse is true. When you judge other people, you better believe judgment is coming to you. When you need grace and when you need mercy, you're going to receive judgment if you are a judgmental person. Because the truth is, we all say things and do things that are inconsistent with what we believe. And it's just a matter of time. If you're a judgmental person, it's just a matter of time until you say something in the wrong context and someone films it and they throw it up on social media and everybody blasts you and you say, man, people are just so harsh. While you were the one being so harsh. We all do things that aren't in line with what we believe about God and believe about ourselves. And this idea of judgment is the enemy of your soul's secret weapon because judgment kills. Judgment kills joy, it kills peace, and it kills our sense of self. It refuses to allow somebody to grow beyond what they were and become something new. You can hold somebody in judgment down for a long time until there comes a moment where we release that and they can flourish into all that God has called them to become. He says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Dr. Darius Daniels says it like this, that judging is bad religion and bad religion is like bad food. It makes people sick. Jesus goes on, he says, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Jesus is saying, whatever measuring stick you hold other people to is the measuring stick that you will be measured by. Whatever plumb line you hold up to somebody else is the same plumb line that your life will be measured by. And so I ask you, do you really want to be scrutinized the way we scrutinize other people? When we look at this, there's really, he's saying that the standard we use is the standard we receive. And there's really two extremes to the standard. The one is that we absolutely have a strong sense of right and wrong, of black and white, and we hate evil because Jesus tells us to hate evil. Evil, And so we, we have this strong, we hate abortion, we hate gambling, we hate child abuse, we hate racism, we hate government overreach, we hate the destruction of our environment, we hate prosperity preachers. And we sound like the child that just learned to use the word no. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Everything else. No, 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 no. And the truth is when we're like this, we typically have a favorite thing we hate. Don't really talk about my thing. I just want to talk about the thing I don't like that I, that I find offensive. The other side of that spectrum is that we, we hate condemnation. So it's not so much that we hate evil, we hate when people are, are feeling discouraged or sad. We hate any time there's confrontation or condemnation. We would rather have a good attitude than take a stand. 
We have rather have a smile on our face than speak the truth with grace. And so in, in that case, we would often want to listen to every opinion, except the moment somebody takes a stand, we say, they're very judgmental. And so on the one hand, we have somebody that hates typically a very specific sin. They're constantly calling it out. They're, they're uh, usually bringing up hell into the conversation frequently, pointing out the flaws of other people. And can I just tell you that when we're like that, we're not known by the love that Jesus expects us to be known by. Like that's what he says. His, that's how we would be known is by our love towards one another. But on the other side of that spectrum, if we're using the measuring stick of avoiding conflict at all costs, we refuse to call anything sin, and we ignore truth. And anytime we ignore truth, we're ignoring the very thing that Jesus says will set us free. Can I tell you that truth is palatable when it comes with grace? And grace is honest when it comes with truth? Like, you can have all truth and no grace, and when you have all truth and no grace, that's the very thing that creates rebellion and resistance within people and drives them from the church. Or you have all grace and no truth, and you're just giving people a license to do whatever they want, ignoring the message of the actual gospel. We've got to get this right. Jesus says it like this. Next verse. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? And we usually use this one line as like a, a shield or a defense or a block or like a matrix move. You know what I mean? Some, somebody's like trying to speak into your life and you're like, how about you worry about the log in your own life? You know? <laughs> That's not what Jesus is doing. He's not giving you this, this weird little tool to dodge truth in your life. He's telling us how we operate in this thing called helping other people. He's saying, he's saying, how are you going to try to help somebody else when, when you, you've got this thing sticking? Like, you can't get the, like, I love a good person. When I get sawdust in my, I love a good person that knows how to operate a bottle of water. <laughs> but if they can't see to find my eye, then they're really going to do more damage. They're just pouring it down your nose. Jesus, he says, don't worry about the, the, the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Jesus is saying it's, it's very easy to find small faults in other people while ignoring big faults in our own lives. And that's because we judge other people based on their actions, and we judge ourselves based on our intentions. We judge other people based on what she said about me and what he did. But when it comes to us, we judge ourselves based on, well, you need to know the, the whole story. 
What really happened was, for ourselves, we want to provide context. For other people, we want to identify the flaw. And can I tell you that the place where you issue the harshest judgment in life often reveals your deepest weakness. The, the, the place where you are the least tolerant is probably the place where you are the least lined up. Quick to judge other people and we ought to look in a mirror and make sure we don't have a log sticking out of our own eyes because when we judge others, we might just be condemning ourselves. Galatians chapter 6, this is the Apostle Paul who was a follower of Jesus. He wrote these words. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. I think it's interesting that he says that. Be, be careful when you're helping somebody in a certain issue, be careful that you're guarded in that same issue. Remember years ago when my son was very young, uh, he had his very first sleepover ever. It was at a birthday party, and I think they, they, uh, uh, our friend rented a hotel room and it's for his, for his son and a bunch of boys, and they're all there, and they're having so much fun. They went swimming, and then they went back to the hotel room, and they're playing video games, because that's what you do at a hotel. You play video games. And um, they're playing Xbox. They're playing a basketball game. I don't know what it was, NBA Jam or something. He's heating up. I don't know. He's playing, like, any of my, any of my guys. Okay, never mind. All right. <clears throat> that was the best game ever, just so you know. Uh, okay. He's playing, playing this basketball game, and... One of the parents who had, a, who had a son at that event, birthday party, that was on a Saturday. The next morning was Sunday, and, and when the parent came, he, he came up to me after church, and he said, just so you know, we will no longer be coming to this church. I was like, well, that's kind of weird. Our kids just did this birthday party, but okay, like, like, what's wrong? He said, well, I went to pick my son up from the birthday party. And they were playing basketball on the Xbox. Okay, what's wrong? So what's wrong was the players on the basketball on the Xbox had short pants on and tank tops. And I do not permit that in my house. And some of you are like, that sounds really ridiculous. But you got to understand, we came from a church background that taught things like anytime you're showing your knees, that that's, that's a sexualized thing. Showing upper arm, that's a sexualized thing. And so, so to prevent other people from having those type of thoughts, we, we cover up. And, and I respect thinking about other people. Let me make that very clear. But, but this dad was, was mad and ready to sever relationship because a computer image of a basketball player had shorts. What he was saying is, you're exposing my child to things that I can't stand. You're putting dirty thoughts in my child's mind. That's... Six months later, it came out he'd been having a nine-year-long affair. 
Because the place where we have the harshest criticism is often the place where we have the greatest weakness. This is how Jesus continues. He says, hypocrite. Remember, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is very much about changing the culture of the kingdom of God and avoiding hypocrisy. He says, hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. You see that, right? Jesus is not saying don't help your neighbor. He's not saying don't speak to an issue in your neighbor's life. What he is saying is deal with yourself first. He's not saying don't have discernment. He's not saying that you don't have a right to speak into the life of another believer. He is saying do not be a hypocrite when you do it. Because here's what it says in Galatians 6 again. It says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Because this passage was not written for unbelievers. It was written to believers. What am I getting at? Getting at that outside the church, the church is not supposed to be judging. And inside the church, Jesus doesn't use the word judge. He doesn't say, deal with your eye, then judge your neighbor's speck. He says, help your neighbor with the speck. Assist your neighbor. Come alongside your neighbor. And that's a different thing than waving your finger in someone's face. Well, preacher, I... I, I just don't think I need someone else coming to me talking about areas of my life that they think are sin. Here's the deal. Understand, this is to believers. What that means is as believers, we follow a different code than the world around us. Our lives are shaped by and formed by the word of God. This is the Bible. It is, it is our, our, our path for life. It is the, it is the, the way we live. And so when culture disagrees with what the Bible says, we as believers have to say we still agree with and we follow what the Bible says, even when it disagrees with the culture around us. And what that means is the Bible's very clear on what sin is. I know it's not cool in our current culture to talk about sin, but sin is any time that we're missing the mark in our life. It, it, it doesn't mean we're like some horrible person. It just means we're off, or, uh, we're off our angle a little bit. It just means we need a little sharpening, uh, a little fine-tuning. And any time that we have sin in our life, we as the body of believers follow a single litmus test for that, and that is the Bible. What that means is this, is that when someone else within the household of faith, someone else that's a brother or a sister or another believer, when they're struggling with something like... like whatever it might be, they're struggling with something. We don't go gossip about them. We don't go spread the story of their failure to the people around us. We don't kick them when they're down. 
We help them. We come alongside them. We show them the same grace and love and truth that we have experienced. Because around here, we're always going to restore fallen believers. We've got to be a place where prodigals are welcomed home. We celebrate prodigals. Because the truth is, is that the same grace that I received, my obligation is to return it to you. So outside the church, we don't judge. Outside the church, we show them grace and proclaim the truth. We show them grace and point the direction. But we don't get in their face and and wag our finger at everything that's wrong. We show them grace and point the way. Inside the church, when someone strays, we gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. We tell them the truth in grace. We tell them the truth in love. Jesus never said that you don't have the right to speak into someone else's life. He never said that. What he said was, make sure you evaluate yourself first and make sure that you are what would be considered godly before you gently and humbly help someone else. I would say if you, if you have areas of your life that you're like, I don't know if I'm God, if I don't, I don't know if I'd say godly yet, then I would avoid pointing out someone else's fault. But the truth is one of the marks of a mature believer is they're going to call other believers up. Because toleration of sin is sinful. Like, I've got to have people in my life, and there are, there are people in my life that, that, that come alongside. Like, just like if, if, if my shoe was untied, you'd see my shoe untied, and you'd say, hey, your shoe's untied, and eventually you're going to, like, it's not causing you a problem now. It's not hurting anybody now. But at some point, you or someone else is going to step on it, and you're going to trip, and you're going to hurt your knee. And, and we've got to have people in our lives that can look at our lives and say, hey, there's an area of your life that is unraveling a little bit. It's not causing you any trouble right now. I I get that. Not causing you any trouble. But eventually, you or someone else is going to step on it, and it's going to create a mess. It's quiet in here. I can preach about cotton candy and lollipops if you want. I'm just saying as believers, I want to be a better person. I want to grow in my faith. I want to mature, be complete, lacking nothing. So the truth is, is when we operate in the love of God, God's love is not silent. God's love says, I'm not going to just stand by while you go off the rails. I'm going to speak gently and in love. And I would say this, if if you've got a friend that, that you're concerned about, Ask their permission to give input. Say, hey, I'm I'm concerned. Can I have your permission to speak into this area? And they may very well say, no. Respect it. Because the truth is, my life is that there are parts of my life that I can't see. 
my eyes are on the front of my head. They're, they're, I have blind spots. Yeah. Oh, you're the, you're, the, you're the preacher. You're the professional Christian. You're supposed to have no blind spots. No, I've got blind spots. I've got areas of my life that are still conforming to the image of Christ. Areas of my life, attitudes, things I say, behaviors, ways I think that are not the way God desires me to live. And there are people in my life that I have invited in to give feedback and input into that part of my life. And I need those people to see my blind spots. And people who don't recognize that the admonishment of trusted other believers that they're in relationship with, the, the people that don't recognize that that admonishment is a gift, they're refusing to mature. They're rejecting the very gift of God that he is sending to them in the form of a brother or sister who is gently pleading with them that you're next to a cliff, come back. The Bible says it like this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. We have to have people in our lives that call us forward. This is drastically different than the culture around us. Because the first century culture Jesus lived in was very much a, do not judge me. And Jesus says, in the kingdom of God, we do not judge those outside, and we're not judging those inside, but we do desire for people to come alongside us and help us. says this, the, the last verse in this portion as the band would come. It says, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs because they will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. Have you ever thought your relationship with somebody was more than it was and you tried to help them and it tur they turn and come at you? That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying be discerning in this. Don't just go cast your opinions out on the social medias for everybody to know what you think about them and him and her and blah, blah, blah. Don't just cast your pearls because you you put the grace and the truth and the wisdom of God before the wrong thing. It doesn't matter how loving it is. It doesn't matter how kind it is. It's going to get trampled and they're going to turn around and bite you. Let me say it like this. I don't hold your kids to my family rules. There are things in our house that we don't do. But I'm not going to go police your kids and tell your kids to be, behave the way I expect my kids to behave. That's my family rules. And many non-Christians are never going to walk through the doors of a church because believers were demanding people follow the house rules that are not in the house. And in this room today, there's... There's people that you're just kicking the tires seeing if Jesus is for you. Can I just tell you that you are welcome here. 
Come broken, come addicted, come struggling. You are welcome here. I'm not called, this church is not called to change the world around us, but we are called as we grow closer to God to change within. I'm called to love those outside the family of faith because the same God that's changing them is changing me. The same grace I'm receiving is the grace they're receiving. And the same truth I'm conforming to is the same truth they're conforming to. So often, we see people who are struggling. Maybe they're homeless. They're addicted. They're sexually skewed. Got rage issues. Struggling with doubt. And when we see them, we just want to tell them our opinion. You've got a choice. Do you want to vent or do you want to help people? You cannot do both. I just can't believe them, Pastor. I just can't believe she does. I can't believe she lives her life that way. Listen, listen. Pray for her. I'm just telling you, like, when, when I hear people say things like that, I just can't believe that they would do this or do that. What it typically tells me is you've never actually sat down and walked with someone through that issue. Because when you walk with someone through alcoholism, you realize it's not as cut and dry as, why don't you just do better? Like, you realize, like, no, they're really strong. Because here's the big secret. The big secret is that people that are stuck don't want to be stuck. And they don't need another finger wagging in their face. What they need is a mama that knows how to pray. What they need is a brother that can come alongside them and encourage them. What they need is someone that has a walk with God that recognizes what's going on. I'm just saying, like, when, when at the end of the day, yes, we want to make a difference. We want to we transform some people. But really, at the end of the day, it's not going to happen because we judge them. Because guess what, church? Strongholds are real. Bondage is real. Attacks of the enemy are real. And we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. I'm just telling you. There are spiritual things at work, and what the world needs is not a judgmental church going around shaking their fingers at people. What the world needs is a church with knees that know how to pray, with hearts that know how to love. Like, we got to be people that are leaning into the people God brings around us. People need an intervention from God. And the truth is that only Jesus brings real freedom. So let's stop throwing our rocks and let's become rescue agents. Let's become people that pray. Let's, let's become people that, that love and pray and encourage. When a sermon won't do it, when a book can't fix it, when trying harder won't make it happen, when AA isn't working, when NA doesn't do it, when a support group can't help, I'm just telling you, I know a man from Galilee, and his name is Jesus. He's been given a name above every other name. 
And he's not coming to condemn the world, but he's come that through him the world would find freedom and healing and eternal life with God. So today, let's be the kind of church that's reconciling people to him. Goal's not to judge, it's to reconcile them to him. And how can you reconcile someone you won't talk with? How can you love someone you hate? Jesus says, let's deal with the log in our own eye. Not so we can judge our neighbor, so we can help them. Would you stand with me across the room? I'm just so tired of of, uh, plastic Christianity. Christian in name only. Christian in ethic, but not Christian in heart. And when Jesus gives us this challenge in the Sermon on the Mount, he's calling us to a whole nother level because this is not what culture teaches. Let's just pray. Let's pray. I'm going to ask. My hope is that through the power of the Spirit, there would be some transformed approaches, minds, paradigms in this room. Holy Spirit, come. Change us. Shape us. Mold our lives around the words of Jesus. We, We don't want to be the judgmental church. want to be the conformed to the image of Christ, church. God, I pray right now for every every man, woman, child in the room that, that recognizes that they are they're off in this area. I pray that we would stop looking at the speck in the eyes of others. God, give us discernment to see the logs in our own faces. That we would be like David says, God, cleanse me of my secret sins. Search me and know me. See if there's any wicked way in me. Because we want to be right with you. And we want to be your vessels of transformation in the world around us. I pray you'd give us discernment. And I pray that we would submit to the call of God on every one of us to grow change the world around us, not by demanding change from them, but by experiencing change ourselves. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on. God calls us to another level. He calls us to live higher. Let's be the church. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church, to find out more. We love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.